0: And Welcome to Small Biz Matters here live in the studios of Triple H 100.1 FM and of course across the Community Radio Network Australia. Thank you for joining us today and uh, welcome to a brand new show, a brand new Small Biz Week. Lots happening, bit of action on the weekend for small business really, but we're not even going to touch on that because I'm sure you're all sick of hearing about it. Today we're going to talk about what it really takes to start a business. What what have you got to be aware of? What have you got to be sure of? Now, lots of you out there are probably thinking, I've already got a business. How is this relevant to me? It absolutely is relevant because... I'm sure you can look back and think, mm, there's a couple of things that I could have done better. Or you could be mentoring someone who is going through this phase. And this would be really helpful for you, this particular program. But also you might want to look back and say, oh, there's a couple of things that I could tweak about my business now, which absolutely we could have all done better when we were beginning. But uh, it doesn't, it's always relevant to what we're doing at the moment. Now, I always enjoy meeting and learning and uh, learning with authors because I find that they are so ridiculously knowledgeable about their topic because they've spent months and sometimes years really planning out their books, researching, speaking to the right people and just like we do here on Small Biz Matters, learning from the experts. Um, They also make it very clear and concise and understandable and often very well digestible as well. Those books that are well formatted, laid out, easy to read, easy to take in and this is exactly why I've invited Ingrid Thompson, author of So You Want to to start a business um, on the program today. Thank you for joining us, Ingrid. Thank you,
1: Alexi. And hello, everybody. Good morning.
0: Now, we've been talking about you coming on the show for quite a while now because I'm, I, I, we came across each other on LinkedIn, as as all do good good business relationships do. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited because when we met... There was a real, um, I think, a real passion between the two of us about helping people get things right. Mm. Is that what this book's all about? Is that why you did it? Was that where the impetus came from? Yeah, Alexi, it
1: really did because... and and that I remember that moment we met and we had that cup of tea and I think we chatted for far longer than we <laughs> expected about three it, cups we? of tea it? <laughs> I think it was um, but you know we're both the sort of people that like to plan we like to be organized and this book is for that sort of person you know there are lots of people who want to wing it or sit of their pants that kind of thing and you know there's wisdom in the book for them but they're probably not the sort of person who's going to take the time to plan and think things through uh, the book is designed for someone who really wants to know that they're setting solid foundations. They're making a good decision when they decide to start a business, whether that's a full-time business, a side hustle. Um, and as you said, whether it's tweaking some of the things that are going on in their own business right now. Mm.
0: And is it a good idea? Do you think, uh, you know, what stage do you start a business? Is it because you're, you know, vaguely thinking about something and you go, right, fly by the seat of my pants. I'm just going to go for it. Or do you think it takes a little bit more Gusto. What what do you think is your top tip for really? Where where, where do you make that start? When's the first step?
1: Well, that does depend a little bit on um, what the business idea is. So if you've got something that is going to be incredibly niche, incredibly new, incredibly different, which is also incredibly risky because, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's not tried before, there's, you know, there's high risk. But there's some really good examples of some new businesses that have started. They've used influencers to get traction and, you know, it's gone gangbusters right from the beginning. But if you're thinking about something that's really... really been tried before. So you want to open a flower shop or you want to be a coach or you're an accountant and want to branch out on your own. You could be doing the groundwork for that for a year or two beforehand, you know, really building up your financial resources. You could be, um, you know, reading business blogs, finding out what it's like to actually run a business, talking to other business owners, listening to podcasts, just finding out what does it really take to get started.
0: And there's a real wealth of information Mm. out there these days, isn't there? And this is why I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about your book because it feels, More uh, complete, a little bit more comprehensive, but also easy to digest because it's a very much a step by step process. Mm. Now, let's talk about um, reasons why people might get into business. So, obviously, you know someone's in a job, they suddenly kicked out of the job. There's one reason you might go, hmm, I think I might not put myself in this position again. What, what do you find? Um, is there a shift in, in the way people are beginning businesses, do you think? Or is it is it still just this sort of like smattering of different reasons why? Well, there, there are
1: a smattering, as you say. But today, more than ever, pretty much everybody wants to start their own business. I was talking to a group of international students yesterday, and there's about 75 people in the room. And I asked them who imagines that at some stage they're going to start their own business. And I think pretty much everybody put up their hand and the ones that didn't, I've probably got that quiet little voice sort of secretly saying maybe. Um, so I think there's a lot of that in pretty much everybody. But there's a few really um, salient reasons that people start. So as you said, they, they get tuff, turfed out of the corporate world. And so um, being able to start a business is an option for them. But there's a couple, so family history can be a really solid reason. So somebody grows up in an environment where the family has been in business and they get into business as well so they've learned what it's like so they're very realistic about the effort it takes about the issues of cash flow and the things the challenges we know for women, having a second baby is a really big trigger for people starting a business because the cost of childcare for the second child, if they don't have good other support around them, uh, that cost of childcare for the second child can be more than their wage or their salary that they get, depending on what their job is. So, if it's somebody working in an advertising agency or somebody working in an environment where they're doing something, they say, I could do this myself. Mm. Um, I get... To you know, I get paid this much money, my agency charges this much money to whoever it is. If I had a few of my own clients, which I easily could, then, um, you know, I could have the flexibility of being with my children when I need to and I could earn the money as well. So that is one of the triggers, um, you know, how that reality plays out, you um, um, and we might, we'll talk about, you know, how tough it can be financially, but that is one of the big triggers. And I think another one that's not talked about much is people wanting to lift the standard of the profession they're in. So maybe they're working in an environment where. Um, that, you know, that they're doing what they're doing, but they're doing it inside a corporate or they're doing it inside somebody else's business. And maybe they would do things a bit differently if it was their own. So it's a wonderful opportunity to really carve out a customer service level or a professional level that maybe isn't being exhibited in the business. That's a
0: very interesting topic, isn't it? The thought that people are just trying to make it better for their own industry mm. um, and maybe I suppose that's not a particularly ageist thing. People can consider themselves leaders in the industry at, at quite a young age as well and yeah. and that might be a reason why they start things up. Do you see those sort of people, those sort of personalities not only become uh, their own entrepreneurs, their own businesses but also go on to be you know, leaders and, and part of the board of their professional associations? Is it that sort of personality that goes on to do I think, that? I think it
1: is. And I was um, hosting a, um, along with Mind Body a couple of weeks ago, a forum around leadership in the fitness industry. And, you know, we, we have 65% of the Australian population is obese or inactive. Um, and I think there's a real role for the businesses in the fitness industry to show leadership. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's as you say, you know, how does that play out in their environment? And I think we're seeing more of that. You know, these people coming together, not to grow their own business necessarily, but to grow the commitment to that particular
0: part of the health industry. And speaking about what you were uh, mentioning before with with students, Mm. is there in your mind with people starting businesses, a real shift for the younger generations to see this as an option and I'll give you an example I was lucky enough to have an intern with me all day Friday um, a young gentleman who is in year twelve and he's doing a pathways program through UTS um, very successful really enjoying himself he's basically studying to be an entrepreneur which in my you know Gen X brain went what is that like <laughs> <laughs> what how does that work but he explained it to me and it was a, it's a wonderful system and a great way to get them into the into the industry but when I said to him you know how many jobs do you think you'll have in your life? That sort of topic came up and he went, oh, I think about seven or eight. So mm-hmm. I think people coming out of school or as you said, those international students, they see that as one of the options. Do they see it as in your in your mind the be all and end all? Do they say that's what I'm heading towards or do they see it as just one of the things that I might muck around with? I wonder if it's part of
1: that mix. Um, I, I feel like there's people who are going to have um, a job here and a bit of a contract there. What do they call that? The blended career or oh, uh, that, if they do that's a great works term yeah we can so coin that right now a sort of a side hustle here and then one of the fellows yesterday in the group that i was talking to said that he imagines he'll have 20 years in the corporate and then he'll start his business and you know there's a lot to be said for i mean i probably had about 20 years in corporate and there's a lot to be said for what you learn in a big business there's mm. all the hr procedures there's the the respect for policies and procedures and the fact that that is what actually keeps things moving along um, and and the rigidity is <laughs> so. How do we, as a small business, not allow that level of rigidity to come into us? So I, I, that's my sense is that um, you know there's there's a need for blended because maybe at the beginning they can't make the right the same amount of money. So um, there's the sort of working in somebody else's business. And I highly encourage someone who's thinking about starting any particular type of business is go work in that field. Yeah. Like if you want to run a flower shop, go work in a flower shop, or
0: go to the markets and be you know just go get your hands into it and that's a lot uh, about what uh, what you talk about in the book as well as is the need for that experience you can't just launch yourself into being a florist with well not even with just some basic education you need to have that experience Mm. and i don't think anybody of any generation would argue that not at least having you know your foot dipped in the water at some point is is any way to start a career you can't just become a tech giant without studying tech,
1: for example. I look at some of the people, because I work a lot with fitness professionals or health professionals, and I look at the ones that have really gone on to create a successful business. Um, They've actually got involved in the businesses that they were contracting to. So they've helped out with sending out the newsletter. They've helped out on the front desk. They've helped out with managing the finances. So they start to get some of the business acumen Mm. that's not just about being really good at what they do.
0: So let's talk about the um, what you need before you start. So We mentioned a little bit about why it is that you might go into into uh, into a, a career, if you will, of of running your own business, a job that you can step into. Um, so you need to have an interest, obviously. You need to be wanting to do this. Although some people are just thrown in the deep end and just have no choice because of redundancy or particularly because of the ageism that we have mm. in the workforce, which we're all very familiar with. Um, you need to, as you mentioned, have a certain level of business acumen. So you need to you know do your d- due diligence when it comes to finances and understanding how all that works. I don't think anybody should be starting a business without at least basically understanding what a profit and loss is or a balance sheet and what those things mean. Although there's a lot of people in businesses <laughs> who don't know what those things are. And you need to make sure your finances are in order. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that because um, cash flow is obviously one of the biggest issues that small businesses talk about all the time. Mm. Why do, what do you mean by have your finances in order before you start? Well,
1: I think there's two aspects to that is that it's your personal finances. So truly understanding firstly, how much it costs you to live and the number of people I speak to who actually don't know what that number is. And for most people, it's actually less than they think. They're scared to do it because they don't want to see how much it is. But you know, if you're earning X dollars, do you really need all of that X dollars to live? So, if you were to actually pair it back, what could you actually live on? And I remember years ago meeting um, the people who started Dermalogica, and she was speaking at a conference, and I was um, fortunate enough to stand beside her in the queue to get a coffee, and uh, they spent no money for five years. She had no new shoes. She had no eating out. They absolutely just knuckled down for five years to build that business. Now, that's a worldwide business. Mm. And, you know, so you can only do that when you know what your absolutely basic money is. So firstly, what what is that number for you and how are you going to earn that? So if you're starting a business, do you keep your job and do that on the side. Um, Do you figure out your costings so you actually can pay yourself that right from the beginning or at least start paying yourself something? Figuring out how much it's going to cost you to set up. So if you're in an industry that requires um, a certain amount of financial commitment first, like if we take the florist, you need a fridge to put Mm -hmm. your flowers Mm -hmm. in, you need the vases, you need all the collateral that goes with that. You're going to have to sign a lease. A lot of the fitness industry, a lot of health professionals, you have to sign a lease. A lot of the trades, you need to buy equipment. So how much is all that going to cost and where's that money going to come from? And if you're starting out with a loan, that's a huge, huge commitment. And when we talk about cash flow, that cash has to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So how do you build that into your pricing? So I always say to people, the more you can have paid for
0: when you get started, the better. Another really great thing to do is perhaps uh, get in with someone who can mentor you in this mm. regard, who would be comfortable showing you what it takes at the beginning, not so much when you're an established business, but at the beginning, what does it cost you to run your business per hour? So a great mm. little exercise is to look at all the overheads that a typical business would have in its first year. You've got the insurance, the rent. Uh, don't look at people yet because you're obviously just got to start on your own. Any equipment you need to buy, stuff you need to set yourself up on and then divide it by 40 because you only work 40 weeks a year, uh, 40 hours a week, and then divided by 48 because you only work 48 hours weeks a year, I should say. And then you get that hourly figure. Mm. And if you're not charging that amount to begin with, then you're already starting on the back foot. Mm. And the other good thing is to talk about a buffer. Yes. I, I mean... I don't think anyone, regardless of industry, particularly people have got all those outlays for capital equipment, should start a business without a ten thousand dollar buffer. Just something sitting there. You've got suppliers you need to pay. You're not gonna start a business and start working with contractors and be that horrible person that doesn't pay them for two months. No, of course you're not. So that's always a, a good tip as well. Mm. But I like what you were saying about understanding what your personal finances are. I mean, so many times I'm sure you with your background in accounting would have seen, you know, businesses who started off already three years behind with their tax and mm. thinking that running a small business is going to get them out of that it's it's really 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 not no
1: and and one of the other things that's um, difficult to understand about business and it sort of catches people by surprise is just what you said there about all those costs is you have to spend money to make money in business you don't save your way into um, success in your personal finances—you save your way into success, or you get a pay rise, or you get a second job. But you actually stop spending financially for yourself. Um, the the truth is, in business, if you stop spending, then you kill your business mm. because you never grow a business by cutting costs. You grow a business by increasing revenue. Um, yeah. So that's a big one. The the other thing I think, um, you, there's a lot of hidden costs there where you were talking. You know, there's the cost of your website. There's the cost of maintaining your website. There's the cost of having your email um, and the software you have to pay. All the subscriptions. To, all those subscriptions. Yeah. <laughs> Subscription
0: creep is a really big it's, issue.
1: I had a good look at mine recently and I was just taken away by how much I spend on subscriptions and I had a good hard look at them, but I need them all. Mm. You know, there's WooCommerce to make your website work. There's, yeah, all of that. Mm,
0: Indeed. Look, we're going to take a quick break here on Small Business Matters and we'll come back after these community service announcements. We're going to talk a little bit more with Ingrid Thompson about what else you need to really get yourself up and going. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. So today we are talking to Ingrid Thompson and we're talking about how to get started properly getting it right when you first start. But we're not just talking to those of you out there who are business owners because or those people who are starting a business. We're also talking to existing business owners because I'm sure there's a few tips and tricks you can pick up today. Now, just before the break, we were talking about what it takes to start a business. And we did mention that there are some really great strategies, particularly in and around cash flow, making sure you've got your personal finances in order. It's always a good idea. But let's talk about the people that you need to engage with, Ingrid. What's your top tip on the people that you need to surround yourself with to get the best advice? great question, Alexi.
1: And I think firstly, like-minded people. It's super, super important to find yourself a mastermind group or to get some together with people who are doing what you're doing. And, you know, I was listening to somebody talking recently and they were saying that there's a huge sort of fear of failure in in getting started or in fact doing anything. And someone who's ahead of you is never going to criticise you. And when we, we worry about failure, it's because we're worried about what someone thinks of us. And the people who are doing stuff are never going to think oh, she's failing. They're going to encourage us to move forward. So I really encourage people to hang out with people who are ahead of them. And, you know, it's so, we can have mentors that we've never even met. I have mentors that don't know I exist, but they hold me accountable because I listen to their podcast, I tune into their newsletters, and I think I want to be like them. I want to move along the path the way they have. Maybe not exactly like them, but I'm inspired by that. So, you know, find yourself the people you want to hang out with.
0: I love that idea of having a mentor that you've never met. It's <laughs> awesome. Very um, very safe as well. <laughs> so it's all right because they're not going to judge me because they don't know who I am. But you're very right. It's it's surrounding yourself with people who inspire you and that person doesn't necessarily have to sit down and have a structural meeting with you and tell you what to do and make you accountable in terms of, you know, strategies. But they do make you accountable because you can say, well, that was your journey mm-hmm. and I want to be like that mm-hmm. and let me look at where you were at this point in your journey and maybe I can learn from you. And learn from that indeed. And, and the other thing... Think it's great, is nobody ever says no. When you say, I'd love your advice, or do you think you can give me some feedback on blah? I've never had anybody say no. And most of the time people are quite happy to sit down over a cup of coffee and get to know you better with that question in mind. Yeah. it's And it's true
1: when you ask somebody to help you, people naturally want to help. Um, I posted something on a Facebook group recently and there's about 150 responses to it because I was asking them their thoughts about a particular subject. Mm. Actually, it was about what they wish they'd known when they were starting a business and about half of them said a business plan. So we'll come back to that. Mm. But who are the real people? So, I mean, there's the people that are you know surround yourself with like minded. But in a business, you know when we start talking about the numbers, I mean I can almost hear the collective audience's eyes rolling back in their heads um because you know so many people say I'm not a numbers person, but you actually are numbers people. You know numbers is about money. And once you start seeing how to make money and how the money adds up, as you said, a basic understanding of profit and loss and a basic understanding of costing, once people get in touch with that, it doesn't mean they have to do their own bookkeeping. And I highly recommend that if it's not your thing, don't spend hours doing it. You know, I was talking to a client recently. Um, he's got an established business, been in business 10 years, and he was going to have some work done for our coaching call the next morning but he said I spent all night last night doing my accounts. What? And I said, You did your accounts? What about your bookkeeper? Oh I don't have a bookkeeper. And you know, we we talked on and um, it actually got worse because he's actually still using Excel oh. to do his and he was getting his bass done because he had to hand that over to the um, accountant to finish up and I said have you heard of Zero or MYOB or QuickBooks you're like oh he said yeah but it's going to be a real effort to switch over to that and I like to keep my finger on the pulse this is a man who earns
0: more than a hundred thousand dollars a month and <gasps> he is d- <laughs> so each of those hours hmm is thousands of dollars. I don't mm-hmm. think there's bookkeepers out there that cost that much. <laughs> there isn't, but his family Sunday night here he is, you
1: know, closeted away. Um, anyway, so we, I hear lots of examples of that. So it closet, might,
0: closet bookkeeping. I like that. I'm going to use. He's that. a closet he's bookkeeper.
1: A <laughs> but using Excel, if you don't mind, instead of a, <laughs> instead of a software. But truly, that is one of the first people to outsource to is to just take your books. It doesn't have to be expensive. There's really good bookkeepers around that can do your books for you. You know, sign up for um, zero or myOb or whatever the whatever the software is and get this person to do that for you. Still pay attention to your profit and loss like still pay attention to the numbers that are in those reports. And if you don't understand, get the bookkeeper to explain it to you. Get a coach to explain it. Join a local um, a BEC or, you know, like there's there's different ways that you can get the help to understand that, to, to have a good look at your numbers. And I tell you, you'll get excited by them.
0: Exactly. And once you start learning them and then they start mm. dancing around the page for you, that's, that's when things mm. get really exciting. And I would say as well, just as an add-on to that, if you're looking for a good bookkeeper, please go to a professional association and find someone who's qualified um, and is part of a, a member of those professional associations, as you would with uh, an accountant or anyone else. What other people do people uh, need to surround themselves with? Well, a good lawyer,
1: good accountant. So, you know, having a good accountant sort of goes in hand. And often the accounting firms now have bookkeepers that work with them. Mm. If you've got something that you need legal advice with, so if you're setting up a partnership or you're doing products that need IP or trademarking, or it's really important to get legal advice for that. And, you know, I hear people say, oh, yes, but that's expensive. That's part of those initial costs we were talking about earlier. And I tell you what, it will be super expensive if you don't. Yeah. Down the track. um, You know, I remember years ago talking to three um, people who wanted to set up a business together as a partnership. And I had suggested to them that they go and get some legal advice. And someone who was in the group said, gosh, wouldn't that be expensive? But you know what, if those three in partnership have some difficulties or some disagreements or one wants to get out. You know, what happens down the track if they haven't set that up? So super important to have the legal advice. And then there's people to actually do the work for you. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, um, I remember going to the markets one time, there was an egg producer selling eggs. And the, the person who was selling the eggs at the markets, I said, where did the eggs come from? And she said, oh, they come from. And she mentioned the town, but she didn't seem to know very much about them. So if you're going to employ someone to do, then train them to, teach them, show them what they need to do for your business. And a virtual assistant. You can get virtual assistants um, so that's someone who wants to work in their own time space. I have someone in remote New South Wales who does a lot of the admin stuff for me. Fantastic. You know, proofreads my articles, helps me out with some of the administration. So, you know, depending on the business, you know, it can be um, someone who works just a couple of hours a day, a couple of hours a week or, you know, maybe more than that. But particularly
0: as you get started. It's a great way to surround yourself with um, other people who can give you advice as well, not just um, those who are consultants and experts in their field. But as someone grows with your business they can give you feedback on how they see things are going as mm. well and, and they can be a really valuable asset. And although they don't need to necessarily start as employees, please make sure you check out the employee versus contractor tool on the ATO website. It was something, Ingrid, I was hammering um, Senator Michaela Cash about and I will continue to hammer her about that if she remains in that portfolio, which is, which is just understanding what that mm. relationship is. And mm. a lot of people who start out in business just go, oh, I'll just get contractors and I'll pay them. But sometimes the relationship is stipulated differently in terms of tax law Mm. and you need to make sure you're doing Mm. it correctly from the beginning. So there's lots of great tools out there. Um, The ATO website has a great small business newsroom which you should subscribe to. They have top tips coming out all the time. You could sit there for three weeks and watch videos on how to start a business. There's fantastic resources there so I highly recommend Mm. it to people. And and I highly recommend calling the ATO if you have questions. Mm. I mean, they're there to
1: help um, and honestly, if ever you find yourself on the wrong side of something to do with the ATO, Mess up quickly, put your hand up. Say, I seem to have got this wrong. Maybe I haven't quite got it right. Do the right thing, and it, it,
0: they're not out to um, put everybody in jail. That's right. We've got the ATO coming on the show in the next couple of weeks, and, and that is one of the main things that they like to say: is it's, in, it's not in our interest to put people out of business. <laughs> we don't get people to pay tax by putting them out of business. Mm. Um, so let's have a look at, as well as um, uh, you know. We've talked about who to surround yourselves with and and what what might be the impetus to starting a business. What about the where? So we've talked about the Mm. the numbers a little bit. What about the where? Where do you you start knowing where to work? I mean, you know, let's look at this area of Sydney on the Upper North Shore. There's nothing. There's nowhere. There's no co-working spaces. Am I going to have to pack myself up and schlep down to the city to get into, you know, a, a co-working space or what are the alternatives?
1: Yeah, well, I guess it depends on the business. You know, um, if you're setting up a home bookkeeping service, for example, you actually need to have your computer, possibly not a laptop, but a proper computer. So you probably need to be either in your own office or sharing an office. Um, What I've noticed happen, I'm in the inner west, so we've got a little bit more um, growth in some of these sorts of things, is that offices where there is a spare desk or some spare space are opening that up to um, someone to take on a casual basis or a more permanent basis. So say maybe a law firm that has two spare desks or has a spare office in their room, um, an accounting office or some other, maybe a real estate office that has spare space, they're starting
0: to open those up for Um, having somebody else come in and use them. now, And and your local chamber of commerce might be a great way to meet those sort of people who know mm, people. And again, mm. the consultants that you talk to and you work with, they might know know someone because really, like you said, all you need is a a desk and Mm. an internet connection. Mm. And I work from home sometimes, but I have to say, it's actually really great
1: to get out because there's a lot of distractions at home. I mean, you might... Do away with the forty minutes travel time and the having to, you know, get dressed and and get into the office. But um, you know, the productivity for the five or six hours you might be there could be significantly better than the productivity of staying at home, even though you haven't had to spend the time travelling and getting ready. So it's really a, a payoff to that. Now, if you're a business that needs commercial space, I'm always really cautious, or helping people to be really cautious about signing up for commercial leases. Some of them can be three or five year commitments. They can be. Five plus fives, or even more than that. So, you know, if you are particularly the fitness industry, some of the health professionals, if you're a physiotherapist, you need somewhere. If you're a dentist, you need to set up, and it's probably half a million dollars to set up on top of your commercial lease. So, you want to make sure that your business is going to offer something that's different, um, that you're going to be able to carve out a niche, that you're going to be able to provide a service. Always super important to look at your competitors. Mm. So, certainly if you're taking a commercial lease and don't trust the real estate agents to give you the advice. Um, I had a fabulous client um, on the Northern Beaches and she was looking at having a space to run a Pilates studio and she said I'd like it to be subject to the council permission and the real estate said, you'll be fine. And when she did, she found out she actually couldn't do Pilates at six o'clock in the morning, that there was no noise till nine. So that would mean that she couldn't play music and she couldn't have traffic. So, you know, if you think about most fitness businesses, they've got something happening um, in the mornings. So whatever your business is, um, making sure that you're going to be able to do under the council. And if you're working from home, you might need to check with the council to make sure that you've got your licence to do that and that your insurance is covered. If you've got anybody delivering things um, to your home, just make sure that you've got the correct insurances for that.
0: And councils are normally very supportive uh, of that. They, they have very clear regulations on what can and can't be done. And it does change from council to council. So if you're moving your business or even moving your home and you work from home, just double check. So yeah. some councils are yeah. more flexible than others, yeah. particularly around the restrictions of people coming and going. That's mm. usually around mm. um, what the regulations are. Um, so, so let's talk about uh, thinking in a preventative way now. So what do you mean by that? Um, what is it that, is it because people should be more cautious? Is this why the ATO is Pulling back on the number of ABNs they're issuing, it, why should people be cautious when they when they take those first steps and think about setting up a business?
1: Well, I think we've talked a little bit about this already about sort of making sure that uh, that people understand what their personal finance need is and that they're going to be able to cover that in their business and. Um You know, the Suncorp report last year talked about 25% of small businesses had not paid themselves any money, hadn't paid the owners any money. And the other thing that I think the ATO might be interested in is that they're not paying themselves superannuation either. And, you know, as women, we know, we see the stats, you know, already women have taken time out of the workforce or perhaps haven't earned as much um, in their careers. And so already when we get to 50, 60, 70, the amount of money in superannuation is is not enough to live on. You know, we're seeing a group of 50 plus women who come out of the workforce and don't have the superannuation to support them. And so, you know, if you're in a business in your 20s and 30s, if you're in a job, it's peak ability to put money into superannuation. If you're in a business and you're not paying yourself and you're not paying into superannuation, that's 30 years of, um, you know, that accrued, Um, built on itself, um, superannuation that's not there. And so I'm really curious how that's going to play out in 20 or 30 years time.
0: The way that you can do that perhaps is as you do your BAS each quarter, um, have a look at your profit and loss just for that quarter and look at your net profit and pay yourself 10% of that. Simple as that. Mm. And because you're doing it incrementally, you've already got that BAS bill. Think of yourself as saying, well, I've got the BAS bill and I've got a super bill and I've got to pay that to myself. Obviously, you have to pay it first and foremost to your employees. Um, It's an interesting discussion around single touch payroll at the moment it's not an option everyone you have to do it (laughs) you have to do it as of the first of july and you can opt in early now so you've got to do that to make sure that you're keeping up with your employee regulations Mm. but keep up with your own regulations like Mm. you said you're going to end up with this before you know it five years will be gone and that's five years of lost super so if if you're not thinking about if you say oh it's just i'm earning some money because my business is turning a profit Well, that's your money, and Mm. you should be treating that as a wage. Mm. And in
1: fact, very early days, because I got into working with small businesses through bookkeeping, because I had been an accountant, and when I left the corporate world, somebody asked me to come and help them with their bookkeeping, which then led to helping other people with their accounts and understanding their accounts. And um, one of the businesses that I worked for, the two owners of that, all their wages were sent straight to super. They did a salary sacrifice um, arrangement where they continued to live on the partner's wage that paid the mortgage paid the running costs of the house and everything they were earning in their business went straight into super so you know if people can do something like that you know it might be nice to be able to feel like you're paying yourself but it's fantastic to be able to put money into super because in the long term you know whether you believe in super or not and whether you believe it's not a
0: religion (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you don't believe in it you just put money aside for when you're not earning money
1: that's well, yeah. well and i heard you talking about an investment in property um seminar that's coming up there yeah and there's a lot of people believe that is a better option than super well you know whatever your belief is mm. money has to go somewhere mm. you know mm. exactly yeah. and for the super, future super's there for a reason mm.
0: we're going to take a quick break here on triple h at 100.1 fm you're listening to live to small biz matters with alexi boyd we'll be back after this and welcome back to 2 Triple H 100.1 FM. You're listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. If you've missed any of today's show, you can catch up via iTunes. There are over 70 podcasts to listen to just like this fantastic topic all about how to start your own business. Plus on our website, smallbizmatters.com.au, you've got over 130 podcasts to choose from. If you're interested in becoming a media partner and sharing all this fantastic content, uh, get in touch with me, Alexi, oh four two four five six eight seven one two. Um, And there's lots of great ways that you can be involved, of course, in your local community radio station, so make sure you have a listen to that as well. So we're in the studio today and we're talking to Ingrid Thompson all about her book, So You Want to Start a Business. And uh, just before the break, did I get that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't looking at the screen when I said it. <laughs> um, and just before the break, we were talking about the importance of surrounding yourself with good people, making sure that consultants that you have are, I guess, in your field. That's that's something else that we didn't touch on is it's important that they understand what you do and, and maybe they come recommended. Um, and also think about the people who you might like to... To use, use, use and abuse as a mentor, but um, just tap into that as a resource and become a mentor yourself. There's no reason why you can't go on this journey with someone else, and you can hold each other's hands and uh, and talk about your your successes and failures. Um, but I guess one of the realistic points here is is to realise that there are there are failures, and it's um yeah think of think of this as a preventative thing as well. This this might not be ideal for you and your business, and um, your business not, might might not work. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying before about where where you establish yourself physically mm. with the wear of your business. <laughs> Probably not a good idea if you're a chiropractor to be set up next to another chiropractor, for example, which mm. does happen. Mm. Um, so let's talk about the seven steps for starting a business. We, you and I both like practical strategies. So, uh-huh. so let's talk about the, the step-by-step process in your mind.
1: Well, and I think what's great about... Um my book, if you don't mind me shamelessly plugging that. that, that That's why you're here. But also importantly,
0: (laughs) like I said at the beginning of the program, I love authors because they know their topic in depth and they're real experts. So the joy of the seven steps is that they don't necessarily have
1: to be step one, step two. I just call them that because it's how it works. Mm, um, mm. You could dip in anywhere. So a client came to me recently and she's all over the compliance and the financials. She doesn't need much help with that. But she hadn't thought a lot about chapter one, who are you? She hadn't really thought a lot about her idea and she hadn't thought a lot about her clients, which is chapter three. So, you know, there's even if somebody has a, a knowledge of some of it, mm. um, there's some something in the book pretty much for everybody. And just on that, I have a podcast with the same name and I'm reading chapters of the book on the podcast. So if somebody wants to listen to me, because, you know, maybe you like to listen instead of reading um, and there's workbooks and activities, worksheets to go with most of the things. There's a a whole workbook that goes with the book. Oh, that's awesome. So back to the seven steps, who are you to start a business? And we've talked a lot about that already, getting your personal finances in order, getting your business mindset, who do you surround yourself with? Mm. And one of the things that I heard recently was if someone's in your circle they may not necessarily be in your corner. And that's, you know, like it's really important. You want people in your corner, people to support you. So not to say dump everybody who's in your circle that's not in your corner, but it's just something to think about. I know it's one of those kind of things that people say, but it's
0: important. One thing on that, you might not necessarily talk about your business with certain people who you don't feel are going to be giving you either the right sort of advice and there's nothing mm. wrong with critical advice. Absolutely. But they might literally be just completely disinterested in what you do. So that's not yeah. a good person to talk to about that. Talk to them about other stuff. Exactly. And, and you know, the other thing about the people who love us the most
1: is that they're probably going to tell us that everything we think is a great idea and they're not critical either, like mm. in terms of, because they don't want to hurt our feelings or they want us to feel good about what we're doing. So just really being aware of how people are saying things. And one of the other things about, and it's the last thing I'm going to say about who are you to start a business is stop looking at what everyone else is doing. You know, people look at Facebook and they see the success of that. They forget it started with a few people in one classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just talking to somebody yesterday who's got a fantastic idea for a clothes sharing business. And she said, yeah, but I, how do I scale it? It's like, make it work first you know, really talk to the people that you're working with. If you go back and read Airbnb's story, you know, they worked with a few homes to get that really right. And the model they have now is not what they had when they first started out. So, stop looking at somebody else's, what I call a celebrity reel, because they're only showing you the fantastic bits. You know, every overnight success pretty much takes 10 years to get to. (laughs) So, you know, just remember all of that. Okay. So, let's think about your idea. What is your idea for your business? is it meeting a need in the market? And so is it something that somebody wants? Like just because you love it, does it mean that somebody else is gonna love it? Now we see examples of bakeries that start because people can't get good gluten-free bread, or we see examples of food products because there is a limit of that available. So, you know, that's a great example of a need that's not being met, Um, you know, and, and even if your idea doesn't work the first time, you know, think about the light bulb. There were a thousand iterations of the light bulb before it actually worked. So, you know, it's not about failure. It's about finding out what's not working and moving on quickly. And that idea of a minimum viable product doesn't mean that it's a low level product. It just means it's a basic product of what you would be offering. And so Facebook wasn't what it was when it first started. I use that as an example. You know, Apple the same. These beautiful machines that we use now, simple to use. In the early days, Apple was something much different. So really taking your idea and just going out and talking to people and not would you buy this, but getting people to actually take money out of their pocket and give it to you. you know, mm, how That's do you, the real challenge. That's the real challenge because people will say, yes, that sounds like a great idea, but until they actually pay you. So really looking at who, what is your idea and what is the value it provides to the person who's going to take it from you. And today that's just more and more competitive because think about yourself. How do you make a decision? You know, How much research do you do? And because we're absolutely flooded with choices today it makes it much more difficult to um, to make a choice so people don't hmm. plus know. there's
0: more people on the planet who are doing the same thing the that same you're doing. thing
1: yeah when, I, when I started working in this environment of starting a business there really weren't many people but now there's a lot of people helping people get started whereas hmm. you know when I first started it was more people helping people in business so I saw this as a niche and now it's you know quite a crowded workspace and then who are your clients step three is who are your clients so who is it that you actually want? And when I talk to people, and Alexi, you've probably heard this as well, when you say to someone, who's your clients?" Everyone? <coughs> no. <laughs> Even if, so if you were a chiropractor and everybody in Waitara came to you, could you actually look after everybody in Waitara? You couldn't. So it's not everybody. So get that right to start with, but who do you really, who is your ideal client? And, you know, for somebody who's already in business, that's much, much easier to discern because you start to look at who is it that um, comes in regularly and you look forward to them coming? Who pays you on time? Who refers people to you? Who gives you compliments about your service? Who comes back regularly for whatever it is that you offer? So, you know, that's your ideal client and then start to look at the demographics of that. What age group are they? What nationality, what sort of interests do they have? And you'll find that there's something common across all of that. So that's who's your clients. Then uh, step four is about your brand. And we know what a big brand is, but a small business can have a fantastic brand. Look at your business brand, Small Biz Matters. I mean, that is a really solid brand. You've got the right logo, you've got colors, you've got fonts, what's the voice of the brand? You know, it's really, what does your brand stand for? And then compliance is what we've talked about previously about having systems, making sure your insurances are right, making sure that you know if you deal with food, making sure you've got all the licences and things, compliance about tax, making sure your business is registered correctly if you're a sole trader and an ABN or if you're going to be a proprietary limited. So that's a bit complex, but it's all covered in the book. And if you just go through step-by-step, it's all there. And then financials, and we've talked quite a bit about financials. And the last step, Sorry, Alexi, go ahead.
0: No, no, I was just going to say that the financials, of course, is what you were mentioning before about, you know, understanding, reading reports, knowing what reports to run, getting advice on what you need to know and, yeah, yeah, something else we didn't mention as well, which is seasonality, but mm. as your business grows and develops, mm. understanding where your peaks and troughs are as yeah.
1: well. Yeah, and, and paying for things in the peaks So that, you know, like that's when the cash flow is is strong. So what can you do with that cash? You either stash it away for for the the low times, the troughs, or actually, um, you know, having paying those bills and then really working towards how can you even out that? So, what can you do with with membership, with subscriptions, with those sort? And that's not easy for every business to do. But how can you start to even out those um, peaks and troughs? And that's where retainers come in. You know, if we go back to the florist, you know, if you're regularly supplying flowers to a particular um, business, then you know you know you're going to be paid fifty dollars from that business, one hundred and fifty dollars from that business. So you know, okay, so now I've got two thousand dollars every week because I supply flowers to all of those businesses. Mm. Um, Something else around financials. Is um, and I I know it gets talked about quite a lot. Is what to do about contra? So contra is a way for those that sort of thinking about it is I do work for you at at a a kind of for free, and you do work for me because I need what you have, and and you need what I have, and so we do contra. So really important to understand how that could work,
0: Mm. Mm. but also understand on that. Yeah. Well, you need to understand it from a legal perspective as well. Um, It's not something that. We would want to, I guess, advertise or encourage people to do simply because um, neither party are paying tax. And that's mm. a simple fact: is mm. that you know, if you were earning a hundred bucks an hour, and some other guy who was doing some work for you was earning hundred bucks an hour, you'd be both paying thirty bucks an hour to the tax office. Mm. So these contra arrangements, I think, have to be looked at very carefully, and I wouldn't suggest doing it unless there was a, a way of ensuring that 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 you were making sure that you're paying tax in the process as well. Yeah. The other
1: thing that I would say to it, um, I'm not a fan of it at all, to be honest. Um, I is that it doesn't value the business properly mm. because you're not actually um, reporting the true value of the revenue of the business so that if you want to sell it or if you're going to ask for a loan or if you're going to apply for a new credit card or if you're somehow doing a financial transaction where somebody wants to see the true picture of your business, if there's these gaps because you've got this, you know, contra going on here and over there, yeah, um, yeah. it doesn't help you in the No, end. it doesn't help you. Just
0: support each other's business by giving each other the business, yeah. Yeah. really. I mean, just charge each other if it's equal, great, mm. you know. Quid pro mm. quo—that's fine as well, but mm. keep it above board and uh, keep it keep it in terms of a reporting mechanism, I guess.
1: Well, and and you know, I can give you an example of where a contra um, kind of works, but doesn't really work. So there's a local um, uh, fitness business gets a contra from the florist. The florist has the fitness session. And the fitness session gets the bunch of flowers for their reception desk. If the person doesn't have their fitness session, then there's no flowers. Um, If flowers are expensive, then there's no flowers. So, yeah, it all gets started getting
0: very complicated. Yeah. So
1: then everybody who comes into the fitness business doesn't get to see any flowers because there are none that week because for whatever reason the florist isn't giving them to them. So, yeah, it's just, you know, to me, that's messy.
0: Yeah, yeah, Mm. absolutely. Mm. And then the last chapter of your book is, is pretty important, which is, of course, the sales and the marketing and the sales aspect. Yeah. And having a real plan for that. Um, How can you plan for it if you're only just starting out though? Is it um, looking at comparative
1: businesses? It could be looking at comparative businesses. In terms of selling, and so many people have never had experience in selling. So, um, you know, selling is really helping people to see the value in what you're providing and it's asking for the sale. And I honestly encourage people, if you've never had any type of experience where you've had to sell, then try and put yourself in a position where you do. Now, I know when we go into the 7-Eleven or we go and they say, would you like that Mars bar or would you like that chocolate or at McDonald's, whereas would you like fries with that? It just really does help you with understanding how we ask for the sale. And if you, ha- if you aren't good at sales, get some sales training, go and do some courses, listen to some online YouTubes, like find how to do sales. And a lot of it's in your wording, a lot of it's in how you position yourself, and it goes back to what is your idea and what is the value that you provide to your clients. So that whole marketing and selling, there's a lot of preparation work can be done with that beforehand. And that is going to change time and time again. You know, three years ago when I started writing that book and a year ago when it was published, Instagram was really only starting to be um, the big thing that it is now. And so we can see how quickly Instagram has just taken over everything. Mm. I mean, it is Facebook, Another name; mm-hmm. it's the same people. Imagery, yeah. It's but it's imagery, and it's incredibly um, important for some businesses to be on Instagram. But if your audience is more of a LinkedIn audience, or if your audience is more of a local audience, and you're better off at the business chamber, then uh, you know, really thinking about where is your marketing, where is your marketing best spent, and all of that can be done as part of preparation.
0: Well, Ingrid, as I suspected, we have completely run out of time. But let me, um, could you please explain to people where we can find out more about you and your Book, please, to, to buy it? Well, um, the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn.
1: I'm a real fan of LinkedIn. My website is www.healthynumbers.com.au. You can buy your the book um, in Australia from the website directly, um, and you can buy it online at Booktopia amazon.com.au. The audio version is available through the podcast. So you want to start a business. And if anybody wants to email me, I answer all my own emails, ingrid at healthy numbers.com.au. Happy to answer any questions you have. Uh, We just want to make business successful. I truly think, you know, when someone goes into business, they want to do something for themselves. They want to make a difference. They want to look after their families. And everything we can do. And Alexi, I know I'm not putting words in your mouth, but that's why we, you know, clicked so um, effectively is that we just want to make successful businesses.
0: Exactly. What a great way to round off today's program. Thank you so much for coming on Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We will see you all next week with another fabulous guest. You've been listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We will see you next Tuesday.